0: turn historian harold holzer continues with an in-depth look at the creative and thematic choices of documentary filmmaker ken burns this is civil war talk radio
1: how much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more, is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when you're office is closed if any of this sounds familiar then schedule online is the solution for you for more information call toll free 888-668-3355 that's 888-668-3355 or visit us online at www.scheduleonline.com do you dream of owning your own business? Franchising may hold
0: the key. Invest in a proven business with proven results. Not sure where to start? Franchise Solutions can help. Franchise Solutions has helped thousands of entrepreneurs find a business to fit their goals and dreams. Find information on hundreds of franchise and business opportunities, as well as tips, advice, and tons of franchise-related resources. Franchise Solutions. Find the business that's right for you. Visit us online today at www.franchisesolutions.com. This is Jeff. While he's sleeping, he's providing food and clothing to flood victims in the next state. This is Susan. She's making dinner now. She's also helping people get first aid, CPR, and AED training. Gary here is stuck in traffic. Meanwhile, he's helping to provide measles vaccinations to children in another country. How can they do two things at once? By donating money to the American Red Cross. Proving that when we come together, we become part of something bigger than us all. Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Our guest today is Harold Holzer, Civil War historian and author, and with him is Ken Burns, legendary documentary filmmaker. We were talking about the direction of Ken Burns' filmmaking career and whether there is a master plan. Yeah, well, there's not. I mean, we we just sort of choose the subjects individually as you're drawn to them. But, But I think because they've all been in American history, many of them, not just the trilogy of Civil War baseball and jazz, but the West and history of the Congress, the Statue of Liberty, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Mark Twain, and most recently this new film I'm about to release on Jack Johnson called Unforgivable Blackness, sort of deals with the question of race in some way or another. And I think it's really important to us. I remember interviewing Wynton Marsalis, the great trumpet player and uh, jazz empresario for our series. Uh, He said that race was uh, like the thing in the fairy tales that the kingdom needed to be well. That is to say, when we took care of this question of race, this monumental hypocrisy born at our inception, uh, that when we took care of it, uh, it would make us better. It would make us stronger. No one understood this better than Abraham Lincoln, who, thank God, presided over the closest our country has come to near death. And uh, we are all the better for it. He sort of took Jefferson's words in the Declaration, which he, of course, echoed not only in the Gettysburg Address, but elsewhere, and gave them a kind of conscious shock that enabled them to, to outgrow that hypocrisy and to suggest a path uh, for the rest of us. But it has obviously not been a perfect one, and we've often taken as many steps backwards as we have forward, uh, and I've tried to, in the films, celebrate the unique role and responsibility the United States has in world history, while at the same time holding its feet to the fire for the failings, uh, not the least of which has been of course in the area of race
1: i was I was negligent in not, uh, in not adding baseball to that uh, what I had construed to be a trilogy yeah, especially since my uh, the, my former boss, Mario Cuomo, was such an eloquent. Uh, Part of your talking head group.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I had sort of, I had thought that I would do baseball after the Civil War, and to me, it was going to be something very short and sort of fun. Uh, to sort of cleanse the palate after all the death and suffering of the Civil War. But as we got into it, we realized it wasn't going to be this short sort of celebratory romp, but a way to understand post-Civil War American history. And during the course of it, we interviewed a wonderful writer named Gerald Early, uh, who has now become a, a, a friend who teaches at Washington University in uh, St. Louis and is uh, both an English professor and a uh, was, for a time the chairman of the afro American Studies Department, and he said this wonderful thing, which we used in the introduction to the baseball he series He said that when Americans study our Americans when people study our American civilization two thousand years from now, which is of course a very, very long time, um, Americans will be known for only three things: the constitution, baseball, and jazz music yeah. and it's it 's sort of a glib and funny sort of thing, but in the end, you step back and you think, you know what He's absolutely right. The Constitution's greatest test, the sort of real uh, baptism under fire, was the Civil War. Nothing has been more important to the survival of the Constitution than that, And, and its expression is so interwoven with all the struggles of the Constitution, and baseball is simply the greatest game ever invented, and the only art form Americans have created is jazz, so they're all strung together by questions of race but this larger sense of an american genius that had to do with uh improvisation. The Constitution is an incredibly versatile and supple document. Baseball is obviously about infinite numbers of chess-like combinations, and of course the heart of jazz is that I'm not going to play the notes on the page in the European tradition. I'm going to play what I feel and what you feel and what you feel, and together the three of us can make something that everyone else can only dream of, which is art on the spot. So this you know, I suddenly, when I heard Gerald Early say this, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm not just working on a sequel to the Civil War. I'm c- I'm compelled to actually learn about a music I knew very little about, jazz, and complete a trilogy that ultimately took 17 years.
1: Yeah. You've done films about great characters in history, people who have led with words and deeds like Jefferson, and, and of course Lincoln, who emerges so brightly from the Civil War, but also... Sullivan Ballou and the other soldiers you've brought back to life. And and I was wondering, what interests you more, what challenges you more? Creating the portrait, etching the portrait of an all but unknown common soldier, or I guess transcending cliche and getting to the heart and soul of a well known person?
0: Oh, Harold, what an excellent question. I think they're equally. So, I mean, the best kind of history is bottom-up and top-down at the same time, uh, where y- you strip away, as you suggest, the kind of uh, patina of of, of hagiography, of hero worship that attends to somebody as compelling as, say, an Abraham Lincoln. And at the same time recognize that the fighting and dying is being done by ordinary people who also get um, pigeonholed into their clichéd-like... Uh, you know, a couple of lines, and that it's incumbent upon us to figure out a way to make the great man real. That is to say, expose to the light of day contradictions and flaws and faults and mistakes, uh, because they, in the end, don't in any way diminish the ultimate heroism of the truly great people. They only make them more accessible to us. You know, we somehow in our modern media culture think a hero is perfect, but of course, if a hero is anything but and the greeks have been telling this telling us this for thousands of years that heroism has to do with somebody's very obvious and recognizable strength and their inevitable uh... weaknesses and it's the negotiation between the two that makes it so interesting so when you get away from the sanitized Madison Avenue version of history that makes Lincoln so treacly good that it's impossible to understand uh, some of the warts. when you get into that he's even more important and and at the same time for ordinary civilians they just don't become sort of cannon fodder for purple prose but they're real lives, they're lives no less important in their sphere than Lincoln's is and so if you can equalize that and at the same time, extend to the past uh, a reasonable amount of intelligence, you know, the great arrogance that we have here in the present that somehow, because we've survived, we must be better than them who are now dead and of course nothing could be further from the truth and we can take so much sustenance and so much energy from these stories that I've tried to interweave them and at some times I'll do a biography when it's solely about an extraordinary human being and right now we're working on a mammoth history of the U.S. in the Second World War and it's all ordinary folks there's nobody oh, really? big big in our films It's if you are from the four towns that we've selected geographically distributed across the united states and you've got a story to tell you're in it and your life becomes as important and the and the uh, the the offstage characters are the churchills and the Roosevelts who and the hitlers who've been done to death uh and what we're doing is up a the true bottom-up story in which we're trying to give uh, the weight and gravitas that you would normally extend to the to the inner sanctum of uh, 10 Downing Street or the White House to ordinary people who live at 353 North Main Street in Laverne, Minnesota. Uh, And what the editorial writer wrote that day and what the exterior of the movie house that played the horrendous footage of the American dead washing up on the beaches of Tarawa. um, This becomes for us the warp and the woof of this particular story.
1: You mentioned the, it's an interesting point you bring up about World War II era visits to the movie houses where these newsreels must have shocked and appalled and frightened people uh, almost as much or maybe just as much as Matthew Brady's first photographs of the Civil War on view in New York uh, showing yeah. bodies. Yeah. Must have horrified just after
0: Antietam in New York. Oh. It, it was incredible. I remember the New York Times had one of the most amazing quotes, which I'll sort of mangle from my feeble brain. But uh, basically, they said, if Mr. Brady has brought the war to our doorsteps, yeah. uh, you know, he has done something so great. Uh, and it was true. People couldn't get enough of the images of war, I you think, as if to subdue the carnage we we're inflicting on our own countrymen.
1: You use television to recreate a word I hate but media of other eras it's interesting though that in the television age in the 24 hour news cycle and worldwide web age um, not to demean a thousand casualties by any in any way but there is um, a great horror in the country now um, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat about the thousand young men who've lost their lives in Iraq but what what in your investigations of the Civil War era explains the the motivations that animated soldiers and steeled ordinary citizens to sacrifice so many people to sacrifice a generation really, hundreds of thousands of dead. I mean how is it possible that people didn't say enough?
0: Hard to know, Harold, and you know, even in the Second World War, where the same kinds of selfless sacrifice were going on, and not again to diminish the contributions of our soldiers now who do so selflessly, uh, but the hue and cry that comes up—it's it, an interesting thing. We had many masters earlier on, particularly in the Civil War. We had God. We had country in the in the highest sense. We had a sense of duty with a capital D. Now, I'm not saying that that the absence of the that there is nece- that they're necessarily absent now, or that they're in diminished quantity. I just think that things shift around and we've become more sensitive to the cost of war. We've begun to value life uh, in an in Utterly different way, which makes each one of these losses even more painful to tolerate. But
1: is it is it the is it a reduced emphasis on God or or an increased emphasis on the visual media or I, I, both?
0: Well, I think it's a combination of things. You know, first of all, we're in a very narcissistic age in which our whole economy is driven on pleasure. Uh, it's driven on the things, not so much that I need, but the things that I want. And so we want things that make our lives better—the second car, the second house, the clothes that are this stuff—that that would not have necessarily crossed the consciousness of anyone who walked out of the woods on uh, Seminary Ridge towards Cemetery Ridge at uh, on the July 3rd, 1863, in Pickett's Charge. Um, So we're focused as much on us, and when we focus on ourselves, we can all appreciate all the negative things that issue from that uh, and the the sort of the shallowness of that narcissism and the idea that if you just get enough things, everything will be all right. Well, everyone ultimately knows we're not getting out of this game alive, none of us. So there's other factors that we need to invoke, and, and in this day and age, despite these distractions, we do. But... It's made us also value life in a way. It makes us stop and say, challenge, is this the right thing to do? Should we be here? Should these men be dying? Are they dying in vain? How do we protect them better? What can we do? And despite the poetry and despite the incredible heroism, the sense of duty and honor and valor that sort of uh, interweave itself among all the characters, large and small, in the Civil War, there aren't enough people asking that question in a non-narcissistic age as then.
1: I I, I think you're, 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 you're onto something but in addition I think what you've helped us see of the Civil War is um, a level of commitment and willingness to sacrifice based on those simple values.
0: Yes, that's right and it's in Sullivan Ballou's letter as he writes home to his wife Sarah in Smithfield, Rhode Island. Um, that he he knows how much the current you know government depends on this struggle so he's got some it's it's a it's really a love letter and I don't mean that in just the obvious way that it's a letter home to his wife and of course it's a love letter um, but it's, a, it's, it's speaking about a love of God, a love of country, a love of cause, a love of family as a as a larger unit than even oneself, and a fatalism that's extraordinary, it, uh, unbelievable, and a relationship to children, a relationship to a wife as a lover and a wife as a as a partner. And all of these things get expressed in language that we all wish we could say. You know, we wish we could say these words to the women that we love, and I'm sure they're sitting there waiting for us to write these kinds of letters. To
1: we can them. always read Sullivan Ballou.
0: We and, and that's what's happened, too, along with the Shogun Farewell. People have put it on their refrigerators and yeah. read it at funerals and read it at uh, memorial services and at, at births and weddings. And, you know, we... It's too much of a cliche to say that we yearn for a simpler time. We, we live in some ways in a simpler time compared to a country that was ripping itself apart in a civil war. But we, what we like is the ability to communicate directly to one another these basic Simple things. We people still love. People still hate. People still struggle with emotions. People still have jealousy and rage and joy and all of these things. That's never changing. Human nature is always going to be the same. And you look to Sullivan Ballou because at a moment of what must have been sheer terror for him, in advance of the first major battle of the Civil War, um, he has brought something into his pen that we can use. 150 years later to help us get through tough times.
1: You know, six months ago I would have commented to you or suggested to you that the level of literacy among Civil War soldiers was so far superior to that of our any young people today, but I don't know if you've been reading uh, as I have some of the, the last letters of the the, uh, the soldiers who died in Iraq. In their own way, they're mini Sullivan Ballou letters to I, agree. Sweethearts. I I've got. I'm actually sitting
0: in my office and I'm looking at the door of my office and pinned to the outside is a series of about 20 letters from uh, Iraqi soldiers and you're absolutely right. We opened our Civil War series with a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. who was wounded six times during the Civil War. He said uh, we have shared the incommunicable experience of war. We have felt we still feel the passion of life to its top in our youths our hearts were touched with fire paradoxically when your life is most challenged uh, you your life is, is lived most vivifyingly and that can be a huge creative burst and so it's no wonder that these courageous men and women in Iraq have had the same kind of literary outpouring as we experienced in our Civil War soldiers You're listening to Civil War Talk Radio with Ken Burns and Harold Holzer. We'll be back in a moment.